And I didn't know about that long legacy of uh, Church on Mill and Church on Randall Place. What a cool thing to even just know that I get to be a part of. And I also wanted to point out that I didn't know this, but I came dressed up just like Pastor John. So <laughs> you guys can know that this is <laughs> going to be a, a good sermon. No, in all seriousness, uh, in preparation to preach to you all, I uh, I listened to uh, the ser- several sermons um, that you guys heard from Pastor John in 1 Corinthians, just to uh, be in the text with you. And I just want to, I have the opportunity to go to different churches in Arizona, around the valley, and preach and, and hear other pastors. And I just want to uh, affirm and just encourage you, you guys have a man of God who delivers the word <laughs> week in and week out. And uh, just the few hours that I got to spend uh, just at home listening uh, to and sitting under uh, Pastor John's teaching was a blessing uh, just personally to me. As I want to encourage you guys with that. Uh, before I begin, I just wanted to give a, a quick just personal intro a little bit. As uh, Pastor John had said, my name is Eric Naylor and I'm at Church on Mill. Um, I serve uh, with the college students there. And I'm not a college student, although sometimes people think so. Um, many times I'm on campus and uh, a student will ask me, like, what year I'm in. And I'm like, oh, no, I've graduated. And then they'll see my ring, my wedding ring, and they'll be like, wait, you're married? <laughs> and then I'll say, yeah, I'm married. Actually, I, I have a kid. And they're like, what? And then I say, I have four daughters. <laughs> and then their mouths sometimes just hit the floor. Um, their jaw drops. Uh, but by God's grace, um, uh, I'm married, and we have four little girls. Uh, we serve in this college ministry uh, at Arizona State University. It's an amazing thing, as Pastor John said, that there is um, tens of thousands of students. Our, our sons and daughters, our grandkids here at the university, and there is very little uh, gospel um, presence at that university. And it is just a, a privilege of mine and, and my, my friend, my colleague Jordan, who is with me today, that we would go and serve that campus and um, part of the Southern Baptist uh, network and uh, our denomination. And the gifts that you guys give, it, it does help the ministry that we do. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for those prayers. And there at our, in our uh, state, at our university, there's over 10,000, 10,000 students from around the world representing over 100 countries. So even as we think about going to the ends of the earth and sending missionaries, there's thousands of students who are in closed countries that we interact with on a weekly basis, sharing the gospel with, uh, very much through the network of, of churches just like this one. So I just want to just say thank you um, for the ways that you give and the ways that you uh, pray. Um, at, at the end of this, if you wanted to hear more, Jordan and I have, uh, we could take down your email if you'd want to hear more and just uh, pray for the ministry. But this morning, I have the privilege to preach uh, God's word to you. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 14. Um, I've just prayed that uh, the preparation and the work that I've done, that God would just speak through me, and you wouldn't hear anything from me but just uh, God's word. Um, my uh, colleague Jordan and friend is going to come up and, and read First uh, Corinthians 9, 1 to 14. Uh, 
Uh, please listen to the inerrant word of God. Thank you, Jordan. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Church on Randall Place. Did you know that Pastor John has rights to your money? I don't know if I should duck right now. And before you get mad and shoot the new guy... I want to point out that I didn't originate this idea, but God did. This is, in fact, what we just read. I wonder if you saw it, if you heard it. Before we go any further, I should make a few prefaces. Uh, first, if you're not a member of this church, if you're a, a guest or visitor like myself, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say you have no obligation or even expectation to give financially to the work of this ministry, or to the needs of the pastor and his family. In fact, if you're a guest, if you're not a Christian here in this room, on behalf of, of this church, we would just want to say, welcome. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. There's no money that we want to take from you. We're just glad that you would choose to spend Sunday morning here with us. Our hope is that you would hear and see how good Christ is. You wouldn't give any money, but instead, you would receive the offer that the Lord Jesus Christ gives, which is far greater and bigger than any amount of money or riches this world could buy. Uh, the second preface, 
Church on Randall Place, I, I have no idea how you guys give financially. <laughs> um, but I think it is safe to assume that many of you, brothers and sisters in Christ here in this room, that you give faithfully, joyfully, generously, sacrificially even. The finances that you give to this church's ministry and to kingdom work around the world, I just want to say thank you. And I want to encourage you today and even remind you that even if nobody else knows the sacrifices you make, if nobody else personally, individually thanks you for the specific gifts and ways that you contribute to this church and to mission around the world for the sake of the gospel, I want to remind you that our God sees all of it. He knows it. And one day, on that great final day, our Lord will see you and you'll stand before him and he will thank you and he will even reward you specifically for gifts and ways that you continued to be faithful when no one else saw. And that will be a glorious day as you and I, as brothers and sisters, are rewarded for the ways that we gave in this life that affected lives into eternity. Brother and sister, our Father in heaven sees your obedient faith, your generosity, your sacrifices. It is not wasted. And yet also, I wonder in this room with uh, the amount of people here, that there might be a brother or sister who's been here for months and maybe even years, a member of this church. And I wonder if there is someone here who doesn't give as they ought. You know, it was the case for the church back here in Corinth that there were, there were some who, who didn't know that they should give or didn't know why they would give or, or they, for whatever reason, they didn't give. Church on Randall, whether you're giving faithfully or you're lacking in this area, God's word is an encouraging reminder to press on and it's also a curing medicine for our disease of selfish financial stewardship. The question our text answers is, should our pastors be paid? That's what this text is talking about. Should our pastors be paid? And if so, why should they be paid? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Like, have you yourself ever wondered? I would just want to say you're not alone. (laughs) I have asked those questions. Others have asked me that question. And 2,000 years ago, people were asking this question, the Apostle Paul. This is not the only place that God's word addresses this question. But here in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul spends 14 verses giving a clear and comprehensive answer. And that answer is yes. Yes, pastors should be paid. In fact, it says it's stronger than that in 1 Corinthians 9. It says that it is the responsibility of all of you, of the church. What we just read says not only should the members of the church pay their pastor, but get this, it is the pastor's right to be paid by them. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And that is not all that we have here. After Paul tells us this uh, pretty astonishing news that it's the pastor's right to be paid by the congregation, he then throws a curveball and says that right is secondary to something even greater. And the text then tells us how Paul handled his right. 
So there's really two main points in this section of the text, and we'll take them one at a time. The first point or principle we are to take away from the text, uh, it could be said this way. Church on Randall, pay your pastor. <laughs> Pretty simple. In these 14 verses, Paul gives us several reasons why, and I think that they can be broken up into two categories, mainly. Uh, one is human authority that Paul uses, the human uh, order that we live in. And the second is the spiritual authority that we're given through God's word. So let's think about these together. Would you look at uh, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 again with me? Verse 1, it says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul begins by reiterating that he is an apostle of the Lord, and he's qualified to speak on this subject. Now, he has already done this in the letter, and perhaps he does so now again because he knows he's beginning to poke into an area that people often can get a little sideways about. Like, have you ever noticed that the most mild-tempered, even-keeled guy, he can get bent out of shape quite quickly when we start talking about his money? Like, I've noticed that. <laughs> Have you ever spent some time thinking, maybe even for yourself, why is it that sometimes money, the topic of money, when people are talking about our money, it becomes a sensitive subject. It becomes a point of contention in our relationships. And so Paul, as he begins to escalate his argument, he says, um, and start talking about this in questions. He says, maybe others, maybe others who don't know me, they might say that I'm not an apostle, but you, church in Corinth, you know, you know that my apostleship is true. I mean, you received the gospel from me firsthand and have experienced the work of the spirit through me. You are proof, proof positive of my apostleship. And this is what it means when he says, you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. It's like, it's like Paul's, it's like someone saying, maybe there are people who think that Arizona is just a desert. But you here in Payson know Arizona has more to offer than just cactus, right? You know firsthand that there are mountains and forests in Arizona. You even know that it snows, which is something that a desert rat like me just like dreams about and sees on TV. <laughs> Paul is saying, church in Corinth, Maybe other people might say, I'm not an apostle, but you, you heard the power of the gospel as I spoke it. You saw with your own eyes the miracles done through the Spirit in me. You felt in your heart salvation brought to you by the work of the Lord. See, others might have been able to say that Paul wasn't an apostle, but the Corinthian church, they saw, they knew with their own eyes he was, in fact, an apostle of the Lord. And so he begins, uh, he begins by reestablishing, reminding them what he's about to say comes from the Lord and even from the authority of his apostleship. And as he launches into these two arguments, the first one is I'm categorizing as human authority or human logic. And he's pointing to the order of this world as he defends this truth. So look at uh, verses 3 to 6 
He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Have you noticed that Paul uses a barrage of questions throughout this text, throughout his argument? Throughout this section, I counted about 16 questions. And you might note as well that these are rhetorical questions, as the answer is implicit in the ways that he's devised the question. It seemed that at the time there was an opinion that the other apostles, like Peter and John, the other apostles and the brothers of Jesus, they were to receive financial compensation, but not Barnabas, not Paul. See how Paul argues against this idea. Verse 4, the question, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Like, no, of course Paul and Barnabas have a right to eat and drink. But it's not even the eating and drinking that Paul is pointing to. Like, of course they could eat and drink. Paul is drawing out the ridiculousness of the idea that he and Barnabas shouldn't be paid. And he starts off this with this rhetorical question, and then he builds up from it. Verse 5, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? No, of course not. And this is not mainly about having a wife. Nowhere is Paul and Barnabas commanded to not have a wife or not have a family. But he is building off the question in verse 4, and Paul and Barnabas could take a wife and the wife too should be provided for, like the other apostles and their wives. Paul and Barnabas are not subpar Jesus workers, and neither are their wives. Paul and Barnabas have the right to eat, as well as their family, and that should be compensated for. And I think Paul specifically brings up the issue of wife and family. It's not just that a pastor has a right to eat and drink, but he has a right to have a wife and family, and they have a right to be provided for. Church, if... if, uh, if you call a pastor and he comes with a wife and a family, or later he gets a wife and children, Paul is saying the church ought to provide for the entire family. I mean, this may seem super obvious, at least it did to me, but apparently in my study on this text, there are churches that expect that the wife ought to go work outside of the home in some other way just to help make ends meet. While it would be fine for a pastor's wife to work, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul is saying it shouldn't be necessary for the wife to work for them to meet the most basic needs. That's not the way it should be. Verse 6, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And we see here now how his questions have continued to escalate up driving to this most direct point. Paul and Barnabas, they were tent makers at the time, and they had worked to provide for their financial needs while also planting churches, specifically this church in Corinth, as they were preaching the gospel. And here Paul presses the question sharply, asking, is it only Barnabas and I who are not to be paid for our work? And the answer is, should be obviously no. It shouldn't be that way. Just based off of our own human reasoning and logic, that is not equitable. That is not fair. Now, I want to just uh, take a quick aside and say 
Note how direct Paul is. Yet he's not mean-spirited. He's not even attacking or indecent. Christian, we're in this world today with social media and the news, cable news and all the things that are going on. We're just surrounded by people with different opinions. And when they approach one another, they are direct, but they are attacking and they're vicious and they're mean. But note how Paul argues so differently, so Christianly. See, there is a time to confront wrong thinking and even be very direct. But we are never the Christian is never called to be mean-spirited or to be venomous. There is a way to be direct, yet gracious in speech. There is a way to speak truth and still love truly. And we can look at this example here of Paul. And to continue, drive Paul's point, he gives three analogies or illustrations in the form of questions. Look at verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Literally no one. <laughs> Soldiers are paid for their work. Soldiers don't double at night as construction workers and waiters to pay for their uniform and their ammo. No, they're given what they're needed to fight and even paid a sum of money for their service. What about vineyards, uh, farmers? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Nobody. Farmers plant crops to feed their families. Even today, in all of our prosperity, uh, people plant little gardens so they can partake even in that little produce. And this was definitely true in the day of Paul and for the professional farmer. This is how the world order works. And, and who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Again, absolutely no one. Shepherds are provided for by their work. They aren't out sleeping in the cold with stinky animals just because they love the smells. <laughs> Shepherds weren't fighting off wolves and bandits for free. Shepherds work as shepherds because they will be compensated for their work. This again is just part of the natural human order. Paul is arguing that this, this worldly human order and authority it too extends to the church and to pastors. As construction workers are paid for their labor and as cooks are paid for their meals, pastors too are to be paid for their pastoring. So therefore, church on Randall Place, be sure to provide pay for your pastor. Now before we go any further, I want to spend a second to just consider how we are to pay based off of human logic and our worldly order. How much? How do we pay? The way it works here on this earth is that we pay for what we value. We pay for what we value. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, some of us, maybe even some people in this room, will pay for private school, tutoring, or extra coaching for our children because we value their education. We value their extracurriculars. I want my boy to be LeBron James. <laughs> Many of us will go pay for, ex for extra, pay extra for a fancy meal with our spouse. Why? Because we love and value our spouse and we want to show them that in a tangible way. Throughout history, one, of the, one reason doctors earn proportionally more than other fields of work 
is because we all recognize and value those doctors, especially, particularly when our lives or our loved ones' lives are literally in their hands. And so my question is, parents, if we would pay extra, pay extra of our funds for our kids to learn math, science, piano, baseball, how much more should we pay for the souls of our children to be cultivated by godly men and women. Friend, if we pay significantly for physicians to care for our bodies, what premium should we place for physicians to care for our souls? No matter the best doctor you get, we are all going to experience our bodies crumble and perish. But that is not the case for our souls. And by God's grace, a major determining factor as to what will happen to our soul is how are the shepherds and pastors caring for our souls? Just according to our own human authority and logic, because of the state of our souls, the state of our souls is so great. It's so important what happens. It would be appropriate for us to compensate that area of our life tremendously. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friend, where is your treasure? Could one look at your bank statement and know, and know that you love the work of the Lord and you provide for his ministers? Friend, what does your finances disclose about your heart? I heard this quote recently, and it has just constantly been in my head since I've heard it. Uh, it's from Rosaria Butterfield. She's a Christian author and a speaker. She says, one very difficult aspect of sin is that my sin never feels like sin to me. See, my sin feels like life to me, plain and simple. My heart is an idle factory, and my mind is an excuse-making factory. I felt like she was just like reading, just like watching my life. (laughs) Paul uh, moves on from this argument of human authority, and then he turns now to what what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? After considering human authority and how it is logical to pay our pastors, because that is how the world order works, Paul then turns to the authority of scripture. Let's look at verses 8 to 12. He, he writes, do I say these things on human authority? But does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? So Paul turns to God's word. In verse 9, Paul is pointing back to the law of Moses. It's, you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, a passage and a law for the Israelites. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So during this time, one of the ways that they would uh, prepare the grain to be useful and, and get rid of uh, the, 
the stuff that is attached to, I can't think of the word, um, to, to prepare it for eating and for cooking, is they would get an ox and the ox would, would walk on it. Or they would tie a big stone behind it and it would walk over it and it would break up the grain. And it was common that you would not muzzle the ox at that time and allow the ox to eat a little bit of this grain and food as it does the work. Uh, one, because it is somewhat civil, and two, because the ox might get a little bit mad if you surround it with food and it doesn't get to eat any of it. <laughs> and Paul asks again another rhetorical question in verse 9. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Like, of course not. Oxen can't read. This wasn't written for them. The illustration of the ox was to point to something more important. Verse 10, does he not certainly speak for our sake? Yes, of course he does. And in this case, Paul even answers the question. He says, it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in his crop. See, an ox has earned the right to not be muzzled when it when it's treading out the grain and it gets to eat some of its labor. But if that is true of the beast of the field, how much more is it true that the plowman or the thresher has a right to share in some of the crop? The answer is a lot. And then see how Paul continues to escalate these questions from lesser to greater. Now in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? See, Paul continues asking questions, hoping to lead the listeners to the right conclusion. And note how he has now placed Barnabas and himself in the illustration in the question. If Paul and Barnabas have sown spiritually into Corinth, is it unfair for them to reap materially? And then he presses further and he even uses the words rightful claim on you. Wow, how does that hit you? That there is a biblical principle that says that those who have sown spiritual things among you also have the rightful claim to reap material things from you. To say a different way, God's word says your pastor who has sown spiritual things among you has rightful claim to receive money from you. If Paul were here, I wonder if he would just say something like, Church on Randall Place, pay your pastor well for the work that he has done. And let's just, let's just stop for a moment and let's consider... What are some of the heavy spiritual things that people bring to their pastor? Like, like even you here in the room, like myself, what are the things that I, that you have brought to the pastor? You know, at any, at any given time, you and I, uh, we're, we're probably counseling some people ourselves. We have friends who are struggling with depression, a terrible boss. We have a friend who is uh, struggling with money. Maybe even to the to point of bankruptcy. They're not sure how they're going to pay their next bills. And we're, we're trying to, we're praying for them. We're helping them. Perhaps somebody here in the room, they're helping a friend with health problems. Or maybe you, you've helped a friend or a family member deal with the tremendous and painful loss of a loved one. We, we do this. But think of your pastor. At any given moment, there are dozens of these people's souls and stories that that pastor is bearing and caring. Our pastors are caring for a tremendous amount of issues. 
Christian, let us not burden our pastors with material problems. We burden them with our spiritual problems. Let us ease their burden materially because they are carrying the weight of our souls. It is of no advantage to us to lay upon them more burdens. Christians, let's pay our pastors well because they care for our souls. And let's finish out uh, these last few verses of this section. Uh, The rest of verse 12 through 14 says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Verse 13 offers a a, a final rhetorical question. Don't you know that those employed by the temple and those who serve in the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? I I know for some of us, we might not have known that, but the people then, of course they knew. In that time, it was common knowledge that part of the sacrifices that the people brought, they bring a a bird, they bring uh, a sheep. Some of it was sacrificed and it was consumed by the the fire as as a, a sacrifice and a gift to the Lord. But some, it was kept by the temple workers. It was for them to eat. It was for them to provide for their own wife, for their family. The offerings that were given to the temple, some was used and given by the temple workers. It is even laid out explicitly in our book of Numbers and Deuteronomy as to which parts were to be sacrificed, how much money were to be given to the workers of the temple and the priesthood. And so the final point to Paul's argument in verse four is here in verse 14. He says, The Lord Jesus commanded those who proclaim the gospel that they should get their living by the gospel. Remember, Jesus uh, sent out the 12 disciples and he told them, uh, don't take a, a knapsack and don't take gold. Just go and preach. And when you go and enter a home, if they will take you, Bless it and and give peace to it, and they will provide for you. But if they don't, move on. You you could read that in uh, Matthew 10. Do not take food or gold, because they would be provided for by their hearers. And remember, too, that Jesus himself was provided by those who were blessed by his teaching. You see that in the very beginning of Luke 8. Uh, Particular women were even noted, um, some of uh, quite... Uh, influence and, and wealth gave to the ministry and provided for our Lord's ministry and work. See, the Lord not only commanded this, but he even exemplified it. Friend, it is not a charity case that pastors and missionaries receive finances from the people of God. It is, in fact, the way God ordained it when his people were first established in the Old Testament. It is the pattern that Jesus himself took as he walked upon this earth. And it is the command that our Lord gave to the church as we continue on until he brings us home. Let's take a moment and just think about money for a moment. (laughs) None of this money is ours. 
the money that is in your bank account, the money uh, that you, the paycheck that you get from your job. Uh, I thought of this uh, verse, Deuteronomy chapter eight, uh, as um, as the people were were leaving Egypt, going into the Promised Land. Um, Deuteronomy eight, God's word reminds them: Beware, lest you say in your heart, "My power and by the might of my hand." Have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as to this day. Like perhaps, uh, perhaps you have an ability to work and get paid for that. Perhaps you have done, made some good investments, and, and your bank account has been blessed. But even the power and the ability to do that, all of that is from God. Remember the parable of, uh, of the talents. Jesus reminds us that none of this is ours. We are just simply stewards of what God has given us. And Jesus tells us, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Many of us, um, where there's a certain time that we're going to live here on this earth. That this is a time of investment for us. And we can choose how we want to invest the things that God has given us. We can go invest it in the stock market, <laughs> or gold, or a new house, a new car, Bitcoin. <laughs> None of those things are going to last. Moth, rust, time is going to diminish all of those things into dust. But in this time, each of us, God has given us a certain amount of time and money and resources and talent, and we can invest those in a way where moth and rust and time will not destroy. And the legacy of that investment will last for eternity. So one of the reasons that Paul and God's word tells us that we should give to the kingdom and to the work of the ministry is because it's the only thing that makes sense. If, if I was a stockbroker and told you there is a stock that's going to zero, <laughs> do you want to invest in it? But it's going to zero pretty soon. None of us would invest in it. But what if he said, but there is an investment. It will never, ever go to zero. It will last forever. We would all of us would want to invest in that. We just sometimes, Monday through Saturday, we just forget. <laughs> we just sometimes forget. Like Deuteronomy, God's word telling Israelites, don't forget what really matters. So church on Randall Place, pay your pastor well, for it is his right to be paid by you. And it is a blessing for you when you give. And so we need to take a few minutes now and just think about verse 12, which, which I skipped over. Uh, we skipped past so far. But in many ways, I think this is even more so the main point of this entire section. Uh, verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, this is Paul speaking, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul has argued through his questions that he and Barnabas 
have a rightful claim to the material provision of the Corinthian church. And I I hope that I have made that clear (laughs) in these few verses. But here's where the worldly logic and even the law of the Old Testament is hit by something greater. And it is the gospel of the grace in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure anything, anything, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. See, Paul, Paul did not hold up his pastoral rights. He could have. That's what a right is. He could have. He had the right to. But he did not hold them up. He did not hold up his rights to be paid. But he endured. And why? You see it in the text. To not put any possible obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you remember uh, Pastor John's uh, sermon this uh, last week? I listened to it. It was a great sermon. And he noted, in, in preaching through chapter 8, there's a few verses that I wanted us to look back at. Chapter 8, um, verses 9 and 13. So just look back. Chapter 8, verses 9. Paul says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So you remember uh, the argument and the question in this one was, uh, can we eat food that has been burnt or given in a temple that is not to the Lord? And the answer is yes, but you have a right to eat that food. But verse 9, take care. This right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And he concludes in verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, it will never, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. See, friend, it is true that we have rights, but there is another principle that is at play, and it supersedes even our rights of finances. In chapter 9, Paul is most definitely presenting the principle to pay gospel workers. But it is also a personal example of Paul saying that he practices what he preaches when he says, give up your rights. He says, I told you to give up rights for the fame of Christ and the spread of the gospel. And let me give you a specific example, an example that hits us where most of us care most, our pocketbooks. At the end of this section uh, of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He said in chapter 11, verse 1. And this is one of the ways he's calling the Corinthian church and us as well to imitate him, to give up our rights for the sake of Christ. You see, the pastor has a right to be paid, but he is then even called to give up that right. And Christians, we are to give up our rights and endure anything for the gospel of Christ. Pastors and anyone who aspires to be a pastor, pastors in this room and anybody who aspires to be a pastor, don't demand your right to be paid by the church. Take a second job before demanding the right for money. Eat rice and beans every meal, (laughs) lest you create an obstacle to the path of heaven. Endure anything. Again, endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the message of our gospel. 
Uh, Remember even our brother, Charles Simeon, who endured his congregation, literally locking him out of the church building. (laughs) Pastor Charles Simeon endured the embarrassment and sin of many in his congregation. And for years, he endured. And we know how the story ends. By God's grace, it resulted in the salvation of many sons and daughters. Pastor, endure all kinds of hardship, and specifically financial hardship. But pastor, don't let that change your charge to preach the word faithfully in season and out. Preach all of it, including the passages on money, perhaps especially the passages on money, because of how often we stumble in that area. But never demand the material possession. Remember our Lord, Matthew 6, that our Father knows all our needs and He will provide everything that we need. And now also to the church, church on Randall Place. Give generously to this church and be sure that your pastor and his family are provided for abundantly. May your provision for Pastor John and his family show the watching world, the visitors to this church, the city of Payson, how Christians esteem their leaders, how the church family provides for their pastor. Let the way that you give and the way that you provide for the pastors here be an apologetic for why the gospel is the best way to live. Give because it is the way that the world has been set up. Give because God's word says so and give because our Lord has commanded To those who are not pastors, uh, a question that I think is so helpful to, to leave with is, how can you lay down your rights to finances for the sake of the gospel? Another way to think of it is, how does your clinging to your financial rights put obstacles in the way of the gospel? Uh, one uh, particular example, I think for me, even just like a, uh, a personal one, um, I would want to say, Church on Randall Place, don't take advantage of your pastor. When you disagree, continue to give. And this is like kind of the personal part. Who has felt the temptation to not give as much of your finances when you disagree with the decision made by the pastors? Uh, to my shame, I would confess I have <laughs> thought that. Where is that idea coming from? Like, is it not from our own pride and selfishness? Perhaps even a temptation and a lie from the enemy trying to sow disunity. Consider the principles and the example of Paul and of Christ that the money that we steward is not to be a weapon against our pastors even when they disagree with us. Remember the quote from uh, that I just said from our sister Rosaria. One very dis- difficult aspect of sin is that my sin never feels like sin to me. My sin feels like life to me, plain and simple. My heart is an idle factory, and my mind is an excuse-making factory. And so how do we do this? Like Paul just said, endure anything. How do we endure anything for the sake of the gospel? Like so often, the answer is to look to Christ. He is the example of endurance. 
Consider the one who gave up all of his rights. The king of kings who has rights over every human. That king knelt and washed feet like a slave. Imagine the creator of the world, the one who, as we were driving up, made these mountains and these trees. He has rights over all creation. He humbly accepted gifts from his creation. The perfect one who never sinned gave up rights to live in peace and perfect communion with God. He took upon himself the full wrath of God. The God who has every right to demand his church and his people to give generously, to not see this money as ours, but as his stewardship. He still patiently waits and endures our selfishness when it comes to money. Consider how much Christ endured the betrayal of Judas for 30 pieces of silver, the abandonment of friends and family when he needed them most, the lies spoken against him in the trial by night, the beatings, the shame, even the abandonment of the father, the spirit leaving him to face the lies and laughter of the evil one alone. Our Savior endured to the bitter end. Our Christ, he endured to the end. You and I can endure a little more, can't we? What if our enduring would be the catalyst that God uses to lead a lost one to repentance? What if our enduring is the road that God uses to make us like Christ? If you would, would you pray with me? And I want to read just a few uh, texts, um, scripture from, from God's word about enduring. The Lord says in Mark 13, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In Luke 21, By your endurance, you will gain your lives. In James 1, verse 4, Let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Second Timothy chapter two, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. And second Timothy chapter two, verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Amen.